Hello and welcome. You are listening to Patrick Boyle on Finance, a podcast exploring ideas from quantitative finance, examining events occurring in markets right now and financial history to see what lessons can be taken away, including interviews with some of the most interesting people in the world of finance. To learn more about the podcast, visit onfinance.org. Okay, we have a good topic today. We're back to the roots of this channel, which is financial derivatives and how they work. If you haven't yet seen the news, JP Morgan is suing Tesla for $162 million, claiming that Tesla failed to make a required payment that was triggered after Elon Musk's announcement that he was taking the company private back in 2018. In the court filing, J.P. Morgan says that warrants sold by Tesla to J.P. Morgan had required the bank to make adjustments after Musk said on Twitter that he had funding secured to acquire the company at $420 a share. When Tesla later announced that it was abandoning the transaction, the value of the warrants once again changed and J.P. Morgan was again obliged to adjust its position. The whole lawsuit relates to a convertible bond that was issued by Tesla back in 2014. Convertible bonds, if you don't know, are a type of bond that the holder can convert into shares of common stock in the issuing company or the cash equivalent value at an agreed upon price. They typically have a low coupon or at least lower than otherwise similar debt, but they carry additional value through the option to convert the bond into stock. This embedded option is a warrant rather than a call option and the biggest difference between a warrant and a call option is that warrants create dilution as when they're exercised the company issues new equity to deliver to the warrant holder. A simple way of thinking of it is that when you make money through a call option the money that you made comes from the trader who sold you that option. With a warrant, the person on the other side of the trade is the company whose stock the derivative is based on. The more money you make, the more that company loses. And so the stock that they have to deliver to you has its price beaten down by the losses that they've taken. So warrants are worth a bit less than call options for this reason. If you want to learn more about financial derivatives like this, check out my book, Derivatives for the Trading Floor. Uh, there's an Amazon link to that in the video description. Okay, so now that we know what convertible bonds are and that they contain a warrant, let's look at the convertible bond in question. Tesla sold $1.38 billion of seven-year convertible bonds with a one and a quarter percent coupon and a conversion price of $359.87 back in 2014. These prices are all prior to the five to one stock split that has since happened. So to adjust these to today's prices, you just have to divide them by five. The stock was trading at around $250 at the time. So for the warrants to be in the money, the stock had to go up around 44%. Now, usually the reason that companies issue convertible bonds is that they want to issue bonds or borrow money, but they don't like how high the interest rate on that debt will be. So they make the bond convertible to get a lower interest rate. Now, they often want to set the conversion price as high as possible. But the problem with that is that the higher you move the conversion price, the less the warrant is worth and thus the higher the interest rate you'll have to pay. But maybe more importantly, 
there's just a point at which convertible bond investors are just not interested in the bond at all if the conversion price is too high. The way Tesla worked around this was to issue that convertible bond and then buy an option from the banks that mirrors the embedded option. It had the same strike price and expiration date as the warrant, thus hedging the warrant. Of course, at this point, you might as well not have issued a convertible bond at all, right? So they then sold the banks a separate warrant at a higher strike price. The way this combination works is that bond investors got the type of convertible bond they wanted with a low enough conversion price, and Tesla got to raise capital by selling a structure that gives them the exposure of a convertible bond with a much higher conversion price, the strike price that they originally had wanted. Now, the bank who facilitated this transaction has what's known as a call spread on their hands. They're short the low strike call option, they sold that to Tesla, and they're long a higher strike warrant, which they bought from Tesla. In this case, the banks were short a seven-year option on 3.8 million shares with a strike price of $359.87 and long a seven-year warrant on 3.8 million shares with a strike price of $560.64. Once again, all of these prices are pre-stock split. Tesla will have had to pay the banks for this spread, and the banks were left exposed to the stock price risk of Tesla stock then. The banks will, of course, then hedge this risk by delta hedging their stock price exposure, which then leaves them exposed to the volatility or standard deviation of Tesla stock price. The more volatile a stock is, the more expensive options and warrants are. The banks were long volatility through the warrant in question, which means that the more the stock price moves around, the more money that they make through their hedging activity. Their biggest risk is that Tesla becomes less volatile over the life of the warrant, and then their hedging would not make them back the cost of the warrant. Some of this stuff can be a little bit complex. Okay, so Tesla's stock was and is volatile, which will have made the warrants that the bank bought from Tesla expensive. As long as the stock stays volatile, that's fine. But an obvious risk from a bank's perspective is that something could happen to kill the volatility of the stock. One thing that can make a volatile stock a lot less volatile is a merger announcement. As once a deal is announced that a stock will be bought out, we'll say at a fixed price, the stock price moves close to that price and then slowly drifts to the price with very little volatility until the day the deal closes. If instead there was a stock for stock deal, let's say a small car maker like Toyota decided to buy a big car company like Tesla, exchanging Toyota shares for Tesla shares, that would likely severely reduce the volatility too, and that would have been bad for the bank who is hedging the warrants. The warrants in question were over-the-counter derivatives done under an ISDA agreement, which is standardized legal documentation in the world of over-the-counter derivatives. The agreement takes into account obvious risks like mergers and acquisitions. It's totally standard to have an adjustment provision in the case of a foreseeable corporate action like an acquisition. The provision tends to give the bank broad discretion to adjust the terms of the warrant to keep its value the same. 
The bank can make such adjustment to the exercise, settlement, payment or any other terms of the warrant as it determines appropriate to account for the economic effect on the warrant of the announcement of a merger, including adjustments to account for changes in volatility, expected dividends, stock loan rate or liquidity. So what this means is that if the bank has $100 million worth of warrants and the company CEO announces the next day that the stock is being taken private, the bank is allowed to lower the strike price of the warrant until it's worth $100 million once again. Okay, so back to Tesla's, that's what we're talking about here. And many of you are probably already down in the comments section saying, but Patrick, Tesla was never acquired. But many of you might also remember that back in 2018, the techno king and meme lord of Tesla, Elon Musk, announced on his Twitter feed that he was going to take Tesla private at $420 per share. Should this have been taken seriously? Well, in a Form 8K filed with the SEC in November 2013, Tesla identified Elon Musk's personal Twitter account as a source of material public information about the company, and they encouraged investors to review that account. On top of that, Tesla's CFO, its head of communications, and its general counsel drafted an email detailing the plan to go private, which was published on Elon Musk's Twitter feed and Tesla's blog, which Tesla had also designated as a source of material public information about the company. Additionally, Elon told stock analysts on a call that the offer to take Tesla private was as firm as it gets. In total, the CEO and chairman of Tesla, Elon Musk, spent around three weeks back in 2018 pretending that he was taking Tesla private at $420 per share. Elon Musk finds the numbers 420 and 69 funny, as do people on Reddit. But as we can see in this lawsuit, derivatives traders and lawyers do not find any numbers funny. I've spent over 20 years in the finance industry and have never accounted a trader who laughs when they hear or see the number 420. That may be one of the key differences between the tech and finance industries. When Elon announced his deal back in 2018, JP Morgan adjusted the strike on the warrant down from $560.64 to $424.66 using a warrant pricing model which adjusted for the lower expected volatility associated with this deal. A few weeks later, Tesla announced that Musk was just joking and so JP Morgan adjusted the warrant again. According to their lawsuit, JP Morgan concluded that the average implied volatility increased by 5.74 points or 14.3% as a result of the August 24 announcement and determined that increasing the strike price to $484.35 was the appropriate adjustment to maintain the same pre-announcement fair value for the 2021 warrant. Note that this is a lower strike price than the warrant started out with, and this is the center of the dispute. JP Morgan notified Tesla of each adjustment as they were made in accordance with the agreement, and they provided documentation explaining the calculations. Tesla wrote back six months later, arguing that the adjustments were unreasonably swift and represented an opportunistic attempt to take advantage of changes in volatility in Tesla's stock. 
Now, in truth, that's basically the job description of a derivatives trader. If you're ever interviewing for a job like this, you should probably include on your CV that you're unreasonably swift and opportunistic. That'll go down well. According to the lawsuit, Tesla's letter did not dispute that announcement events had occurred. It did not challenge any of the specific calculations or supporting materials JP Morgan had provided six months earlier. And it did not offer any support for its assertion that JP Morgan's methodology was unreasonable. Anyhow, the warrants expired in June and July of this year. They were deep in the money, no matter what strike price you use. But JP Morgan claims that they are owed $162 million, more than Tesla has paid them, based on the strike price adjustments that happened back in 2018. JP Morgan was one of four banks that acted as Tesla's counterparties on the warrant transactions for this convertible bond deal. And Tesla claims that none of the three other warrant dealers made similar adjustments. Of course, the other banks had much smaller positions than JP Morgan had. And they might have written off the adjustments in order to keep a big customer happy. The other three banks might hope to make more money in ongoing business from Tesla than what was written off. From JP Morgan's perspective, it may make better business sense to go after the $162 million, as they would likely never earn that much money from Tesla firm future corporate finance transactions. I'm not a legal expert, so I'll let you guys tell me in the comments section who should win this case. It would appear that the case hinges on whether it was reasonable to take Elon's tweet seriously. Tesla don't appear to be disputing their calculations. It's worth noting as well that the stock turned out to be more volatile than expected rather than less volatile over the life of the warrants. Some of this might be down to the fact that a company having a CEO who pretends to do transactions at prices that he finds funny makes a stock price move around a lot more than having a more serious techno king tweeting about corporate actions. See you again soon. Bye. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to subscribe so you're notified when a new episode is posted. Thank you to everyone who is supporting this content on Patreon. If you enjoyed this content, you can find more like it on YouTube, on the Patrick Boyle on Finance channel, or follow us on Twitter at Patrick E. Boyle. Thanks for listening. Bye.